0: I know there's an English saying, the head may take a rest and the seat may stand. Why don't you stand up for 30 seconds and just say something funny to your neighbor? Like, uh, I love your nose. (laughs) Or, thank God for your ears. Or, you're made... You know, say something funny to your neighbor and shake your shoulders a little bit around and and maybe loosen your legs a little bit and uh, do some gymnastic or some Bible. We have, It's like Bible aerobics what we do here this whole day. Man, that's quite some gymnastics. I love it. I love it. I love God's Word, don't you? And uh, since you're all younger than 40 years, I do have a PowerPoint presentation. How does that sound? I'll be speaking on Corey's clues, its thoughts on tribulation from a European perspective. And... Uh, I have this funny picture, and maybe you've wa- you wonder, what, what, what is that? What am I looking at? And that's to keep you awake. I, once, I, I, don't, I don't blame you if you fall asleep. I once fell asleep during my own preaching. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to a tape. <laughs> I will crack some jokes, Brother Joe. That's good. Well, I made a picture of my rear mirror in my car. And you see, of course, the the backside of it. And this is my window. And you see the front side of it. It's part of our house. And right in the middle are some wooden shoes. And I hung those wooden shoes right there to look at them once in a while to remind myself to walk by faith. I brought some with me, brother. You like them? God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know your, your daughter, just give them away, whatever you do with it, no problem. And I want to encourage you. And I think what we all heard today, it will fit right in. And I think we are one brother. Although we are from the other part of the world, it's one spirit. God is preparing His people for the time that lies ahead. And I believe it's faith. We have to look back in faith to our past. And we have to look in faith to our future. And it's faith and walking by faith that's the central of our thoughts and what we have to do. Well, I like... You, you've probably heard just to... I, I'll, I'll do what you say, Joe, to just crack another joke. You've probably heard the joke about the, the three Christians walking near the, the Sea of Galilee in Israel, like the Methodist and the Baptist and the Pentecostal preacher, and telling each other that, you know, the Methodist pastor said to his colleagues, Jesus walked on the water... And, and we, we could do that also if he did by faith, can't we? And you've probably heard that joke, haven't you? It has different versions. The Methodist goes, he walks over the water, he doesn't sink, and he walks back. And then the Baptist goes and whoop, he goes right in. And, and, and the Pentecostal goes, he walks over the water. And the Pentecostal and the and, and the Methodist they look to each other and, and and they laugh and the Baptist person he said how how do they do that? And the Methodist person says to the Pentecostal person, Well you have to know where the where the rocks are. <laughs> but then the Pentecostal person he turns pale, he looks at his colleague, he says, What rocks? <laughs> but I have the Dutch version. We have wooden shoes we can walk on the water. <laughs> you know, if you've ever been to the Netherlands, you know, we have no mountains in the Netherlands. We have so much faith. We've moved them all into our seas. <laughs> Why am I telling you a joke? I was in Israel last year. And I met this guy Joseph, he was our Jewish guide. And this is our Jewish guide standing in Masada. And Masada is the place where, uh, where about 70 AD, uh, 960 Jewish rebels in the eyes of the Roman you know, conquerors uh, commit suicide. And he is, this is the rock Masada, and they hit there in, above there. And when, when the Roman soldiers came there to get them, you know, they all committed suicide. And this guide was telling me this story that he has a German background. He is, he is now about 78. He has this German background, and in 1939, he, as a Jew, he fled to the Netherlands to hide for the Germans. And he, he found a place in a Jewish family in the Netherlands. And he lived there for a couple of years. But I think about 1943, they discovered his hiding place. And the whole family, the whole Jewish family, including himself, were sent to Ravensbrück, to the camps in Germany again. No one of this family survived the Holocaust, except this Jewish guide. And he went to Israel, he became a guide. And what he did, he was telling us joke after joke after joke after joke about Adam and Eve, about, you know, all kinds of jokes. And then he explained us why he was telling us jokes. He said, when we were in prison in the camps in Germany it was a way to survive are you going to teach that on your in your surviving
1: <laughs> you have
0: to you have to survive one way or the other and for him it was a way to survive what was happening over there during the world war 2 well i will be Teaching, I will be preaching not my own sermon this evening, but I will preaching someone else's sermon. It's like preachers always, you know, preach someone else's sermon. They preach words from the Bible, which is someone else's sermon, Peter's sermon, Paul's sermon, Jesus' sermon. And I'm like a parrot just, you know, preaching what others before me uh, preached. And it's a great privilege for me to share a little bit about a few Dutch. Characters like Corrie ten Boom. But there's another Dutch uh, well-known character. You, many of you already uh, heard uh, the name Brother Andrew. Who, know, who, who heard of Brother Andrew? He wrote a book, God's Smuggler. It sold 12 million uh, copies in the United States. And he smuggled Bibles behind the Iron Curtain when the Iron Curtain was there into Russia. And he, when, when his story was written up, by John Sherrill, the book God's Smuggler. He was, he was telling so many stories about Corrie Boom that John, John Sherrill was so, so curious about Corrie Boom that after he wrote God's Smuggler, he wanted to interview Corrie Boom and he wrote The Hiding Place. And from The Hiding Place, the movie The Hiding Place, the Billy Graham movie, was being made and uh, brother andrew he's still alive i had an interview with him uh, just a few weeks ago he turned 81 uh, may 11th it, at the, in his uh, where he lives about 40 minutes drive from where i live and we had a very uh, good time together and uh, i will share some some inside thoughts from both uh, uh, Corrie ten boom and brother andrew two dutch pioneers in preparing people for tribulation. Uh, the first thing Brother Andrew taught me, t- t- uh, told me was that um, uh, he went into not just Russia, but he also went as one of the first missionaries into smuggling Bibles, into China. And of course, before the Communist Revolution in 1949 with Mao Zedong, uh, there were already uh missionaries active in china and especially the brethren missionaries teaching pre-trip pre-trip uh uh how do you say rapture. rapture right um and he told me that uh one year before china got closed in 1965 uh, all those missionaries were kicked out of china uh, but then, um, uh, ten years later, in 1975, China opened up again, and the missionaries wanted to come back. And one of, you know, one of the well-known uh, brethren uh, Christians in China is Watchman Ni. He, he wrote a, a lot of books, uh, <clears throat> and he, he was in prison for for 20 years for his for his uh, for his faith. But Brother Andrew told me when the pre-trippers Wanted to come back into China. The Christians living in China at that moment didn't want them back in China. And they told them, you have taught us a lie. You have not prepared us, prepared us for tribulation. And we went through suffering while you taught us about a rapture. And we went to prison. And we were martyred for our faith. And you have taught us a lot. We don't want you any longer in China. That's what Brother Andrew told me just a few weeks ago. Brother Andrew certainly is not pre-trip. I would like to quote the verse, Acts chapter 14, 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. China, you've taught us a pre-trip rapture, yet we went through tribulation. We were not prepared. Go away. Well, the hiding place. Some of you have been to the Netherlands and the next slide says... A little bit about Cory ten Boom's story. And uh, here she is. It's a drawing. It's a very old, strong, faithful lady, Corrie ten Boom. And uh, the hiding place, I told you, came forth from Brother Andrew's book, God's Smuggler, written by John Sherrill. And uh, Cory ten Boom went on many, many, many trips smuggling Bibles into China. And uh, uh for the ones that don't know her story, I'll I'll give a, a short overview of what the hiding place is like. We were there, my wife and I a few weeks ago, and it's a small store, a clockmaker store, there's the clock hanging. And uh Coritan Bohm's grandpa uh, was praying for the Jews since eighteen forty four praying that the Jews would uh, be able to return to their home nation and uh, uh, not knowing that his house and her grandpa was a clockmaker and Cory's father was a clockmaker and even Cory Temboom herself was the first female certificated clockmaker in the Netherlands and uh, We know her story. Her father and her grandfather, they had many friends among the Jews in the Netherlands. And they shared a lot in common from the Old Testament. And uh, during the World War II, uh, it was a natural process that they were going to hide their own friends, and their address was a well known address yeah, to hide Jews behind this wall. This is my lovely wife by the way and uh, they made they made a, a double wall in her bedroom, according to Boom's bed was laying was was standing right there, and there was this 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 place you could open here and uh, they had to time, you know, when there was the enemy, the, the, the German soldiers were coming uh, into the streets or f- standing in front of the shop, you know, uh, the, the one standing in the shop could push a button and it took 70 seconds, you know, to run from where the Jews were in the house to go and hide behind this wall. And that's the way how she saved... Uh, six lives, there were only six people that could stand there and one time uh, f- uh, uh, for two and a half days uh, six Jewish uh, persons had to hide there in that, in that small place and they, they had to, to, to survive standing up and they changed, you know, who, who was going to sit down and who was going to stand and everything and that's in short her story, it's like Anna Frank's story but then from the Christian perspective perspective. Uh, so this is, this is the, in short uh, Corrie ten Boom's story. But the final year of the war in 1944, uh, a traitor uh, came in and <coughs> he tr- he, 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 she got caught. She and her brother and her father, then uh, 80 uh, years old, and her sister Betsy. And her father died 10 days after he got in prison. And she and her sister Betsy, uh, she went to Ravensbrook and, uh, because of uh, uh, some administrational mistake. Uh, a week uh, before all the ladies older than a certain age were uh, going to the uh, gas chambers, uh, she was released and she could come home, but just before that time, uh, her, her sister Betsy uh, died there in Ravensbrook, uh, but her sister Betsy, had a vision uh, about uh, 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 spreading the gospel and, and, and all the lessons they, they had learned in that process uh, to, to, to teach uh the God's people uh, everything they've they've learned from their experience so Godie Boom picked up on the promise she made to her sister Betsy when she died that she would do that and she would go as an evangelist uh worldwide to travel uh, and and that's what what she has been doing all the time uh, since uh, from that time since her death um the question the main question uh you and some of you already have asked me that, and I've asked myself, is uh, what was her standpoint? What was her viewpoint on, uh, uh, you know, was he pre-mid or post-tribulation or pre-rat? And I'm going to answer this question in some of her, um, her clues. But before I do that, I'll, I'll tell you something of my own background. I got saved of all places in Yakima, Washington, in 1971. And the first book I read was The Late Great Planet Earths by Hal Lindsey. I even heard him speak in one conference, I think it was in the fall 1971 or in the early spring 1972, I don't recall exactly when, that's when. I because it was the first thing I heard and the first Christian book I read, that's how I became free trip. But thank God for brothers like Robert Frank Campen. I got a whole I got a whole of a copy of his book, the second revised edition in nineteen ninety four, the sign. I started reading it. And between 1971 and 1994, I believed pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. I didn't know what to believe. And I left it alone. Because it was too complicated for me. But as a pastor, I pastored a church in Almere indeed. I, I, I... preached through the book of Revelation, and what many pastors do, they, uh, like Dennis Stolt shared with us this morning during the devotional, you know, you, 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 you tell this is one view, this is another view, this is another view, and you choose yourself. And I did that without taking in a standpoint myself. I said, Well, these are the different views, and you go ahead and figure it out. But God's Spirit wouldn't let me do that. I had to take a standpoint. I had to find it out. So I started reading the sign again. I started, uh, you know, serving the Internet, looking for materials. I bought about a, a meter high of books, commentaries, reading through it all. Uh, I, I started doing research, listening to tapes. It took me about two and a half, three years to really, you know, wanted, I wanted to eat it all. And then I, I ran across the Alan Kershnes and your website, uh, you know, the, the, the pre-rapture.com uh, website. And I, I got stuck with that website. I mean, that was good stuff. That, like, they gave the simple, you know, the plain answers I was looking for. And, uh, well, to make a long story short, uh, since uh, about a month of six, we run a, a, a Dutch sister site of your American uh, website, preradje.com. And uh, we call it eintijd.info, which means endtime.info. And uh, the term prerat is not known yet in the Netherlands. I have a poll on my website and uh, how many people believe this and how many people believe that. And 40% still believes in pre-trip and only 30% or so believes in prerat. So I got a lot of work to do and I need your help in your prayers to change it around so the pre-rapture standpoint will be more known in the Netherlands. And I thank Charles for hi- and also Ellen for their, uh, their, their kind uh, graceness that I, I can publish the, the materials translate it into Dutch and use it and, uh, and, and get the message out, which is very important. Corrie ten Boom, back to Corrie ten Boom. She got free out of prison, out of the Holocaust, and traveled the world preaching a relationship with Jesus. One time she met her former camp torturer. And she with the words of C.S. Lewis, she forgave the unforgivable. Those camp tortures were animals. They not only used people as slaves. Before they went to the gas chambers, they cut off they cut off fat of people's lives and made soap from it. They filled pillows. With their hair, they made lampskins, lamp, lamp caps from skins with tattoos. They pulled out golden teeth. They finally used them up completely in work camps before killing them. Those camp torches—they were animals. But Corrie would not tell you this. She would not add fuel to the hatred to her former enemies. She could forgive the unforgivable. Like C.S. Lewis says, we have to forgive the unforgivable because God has forgiven the unforgivable in us. Or for the younger person's, in our midst, like Bono says in his last CD uh, in a song which has a classical uh, uh, melody with it. uh, He says, who can forgive forgiveness when forgiveness is not only the Lamb of God as white as snow. And you touched my heart, brother, when you shared with us the people throwing your luggage on the floor and anger gets up. You need to learn to forgive animals. When the Bible speaks in the book of Revelation on the hybrids, part animal, part human, we need to learn to forgive and forgive and forgive, and forgive, and forgive. And Corrie ten Boom lived that out. That was her lifestyle. She could forgive, and she could even forgive her own camp torture. We call her Aunt Corrie. And uh, she was like, you know, an old grandma for many, many people Worldwide, but you know she knew the reality of what it means to live a Christian life. If you ever have you ever heard of the Fox Books of Martyrs? All the disciples went that way. They were all they were all gave their lives for their faith. Was she pre-wrought? Corrie's theological stance. I put down this chocolate sermon. She once wrote in one of her books that if you get a piece of chocolate, you don't analyze it, do you? You don't go and see how much cacao is in there, how much calories is in there, uh, how much fat is in there, how much energy is in there. You just eat it, don't you? I mean, if you like chocolate... You don't go analyzing it, you eat it. And was she pre rat? Well, she wasn't the kind of person to pull the word apart like Charles Cooper does or Alan Kirschner. I mean she wasn't a theological, even the pre rat term was not known in her days. There was not such term before Barvin Rosenthal and Bob from Kampen, you know, start using it. And Brother Andrew told me, Corrie ten Boom didn't go from here, but she goes from here. She had her heart speak. And they were her illustrations from life, from real life, that touched the hearts of the people. There was no such terminology as pre-read in her days. But she certainly was not pre trip she would tell stories like a person talking about expecting to get raptured, suggesting maybe a pre-trip rap. But then Corey would go on saying, whether this person is right or wrong, I don't know. She, you see, she spoke in every denomination. Dutch Reformed, Charismatic, Baptist, uh, Methodist. She, she, she didn't choose a theological standpoint. But she was a very wise woman. So it said, whether this person is right or wrong, I don't know. And then she would continue with speaking on trusting Jesus. Holiness. Being faithful until the end. And even being willing To die for Jesus and other very pastoral insights on surviving tribulations. Like she did using her own life as an example. Surviving the World War II Holocaust. She always taught people to be prepared at any time. She spoke to all kinds of denominations, avoiding conflicting theological standpoints. But yes, she was outspoken on the subject. I have some quotes for you. Corrie's Clues in Quotes. And the first one is a very strong quote from one of her books. And I took the dutch books so she wrote about 20 books or so so i didn't i don't give you the references in the english books because i didn't go through all the english books but i can give you the references in the dutch books with name of title and page and this is one of her quotes there is quotes there are some among us teaching there will be no tribulation that the christians will be able to escape all this these are the false Teaches that Jesus was warning us to expect in the latter days. That's a very strong quote, isn't it? She continues her quote with, Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. I've been in countries where the saints are already suffering terrible persecution. In the final chapter in her book, The Story of My Life, she has the next quote. Do God's children have to go through the Great Tribulation? Many expect to be raptured before the Great Tribulation is coming. But already now, there is a terrible battle going on between the powers of light and the powers of darkness. And then she quotes Luke 21:28 and Luke 21, verse 9 and Psalm 46. I'd like to read with you Psalm 46, which is a very interesting psalm on the subject. And if you have your Bibles with you, I haven't got it on PowerPoint, but you have it in print. And I just grabbed some English Bible I have. I haven't got all the English versions at home. Not in paper form. I do have them digital. And I love Locus type of software to get all the translations uh, to check them all. But it says in Psalm 46, God is with us. God is our shelter and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not be afraid even if the earth is shaken and mountains fall into the ocean depths. Even if the seas roar and rage and the hills are shaken by the violence. There is a river that brings joy to the city of God, to the sacred house of the Most High. God is in that city and it will never be destroyed at early dawn. He will come to its aid. Nations are terrified. Kingdoms are shaken. God thunders and the earth dissolves. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and see what the Lord has done. See what amazing things He has done on earth. He stops wars all over the world. He breaks bows, destroys spears and sets shields in fire. Stop fighting, He says, and know that I am God supreme among the nations, supreme over the world. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Those were us quotes she would give to encourage the Christians that were in tribulation. In times of tribulation, the world needs strong, trusting people Christians that have a realistic view on God's plan and Jesus' victory is one other quote she has in one of the books. She intuitively believed that the church would go through the Great Tribulation. It's the most natural way of reading the Bible. Say amen if you agree with me. And I teach my church members, if you agree with me, you say, yay, man, and otherwise you say, no, man. (laughs) The world, one more quote, wants to know, because the world is pessimistic about the future, we don't know what is coming, but we do know who is coming. She taught to always be prepared. She has this very nice story about this little girl in school. And there was this inspector coming into her classroom, inspecting the desks of all the children in the classroom. And she was the messiest girl of her classroom. And the inspector says, when I come back, I want this classroom to be all cleaned and your desk very neat and all cleaned. And this girl said, I will be the cleanest of all. And all the, all the children in her class laughed at her because she was the messiest girl in the classroom. And they asked her, how are you going to do it? And the little girl said, well, I will clean my school desk. I will clean it every Monday morning. But then the other children said, but what if the inspector comes on Friday afternoon? Then she would have a problem. But then the little girl answered, I will clean my desk every morning. But then the other children said, what if the inspector comes in the afternoon at 3 o'clock? then she would have a problem. So she answered, I will keep my desk clean at all times. You will have to keep your life clean at all times. That was Corrie Boom. She also said, it's the next quote, In times of tribulation, the world needs strong, trusting people, Christians that have a realistic view on God's plan and Jesus' victory. It will be a day of terrible wrath for the unbelievers. A day of wrath for the unbelievers. It's on page 202 in her bundle I'd say it in Dutch, onbegrijpelijke liefde, which means something like uh, love you cannot grasp. I don't, did someone has read the English book, of her? one of her books. It is a day of terrible wrath for the unbelievers. And in her final chapter in her book, Marching Orders for the End Time, someone read it? Marching Orders for the End Time? In her final chapter, and she she usually... Uh, talks about these things in the final chapters of her books. So if you don't want to read the whole book, just read the final chapters of the book. In the final chapter, in marching orders about martyrdom, she says, Revelation clearly says that there will be many martyrs in the end time." So here are some quotes from Aunt Corrie that she was certainly not pre-trip. And her mission was to strengthen that what remains. Her mission was to, to encourage the believers and to prepare them for what was coming. There's a Christian there's, there's a Christian testimony in a western country uh, goes something like this I was sick and I was in desperation and I had a lot of uh, a lot of debts I was a complete failure uh then I met Jesus and now everything goes all right I'm back in business and my life my life is one great success I've heard many of those testimonies. A Christian testimony in an Eastern or Muslim country is I was happy. I had a family. I had a nice job. I was respected. Then I gave my life to Jesus and now I'm in prison. Expelled by my family. Left by my wife and children. Without a job, I'm poor and sick and I have a bad reputation and my only crime is that I gave my life to Jesus. I was on vacation with my wife just a few weeks ago in France. From my mother's side, I'm a descendant of the Huguenots. Everyone heard of the Huguenots in France. They went through tribu- terrible tribulation from the mid of the 17th century to the mid of the eighteenth century, about a hundred year under Louis the Louis XIV. And I have a small excursion because I learned some lessons there, brother. You like it. And I did some research there in the the Ardèche and the the place where the tribulation was the strongest in France. And I found out that there are patterns then and now. And the way tribulation worked then and works now. Because Louis the Fourteenth he and that's the next slide he made no, did I miss? Uh, I miss something. You go too fast, or go back? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He made though the next one you can do. Yeah, he made some decrees. I made a picture in the Huguenot Museum. These are all decrees or laws uh, Louis the made, uh, and he those laws were against the Christians more and more taking off their rights. Like according to the boom, in the time of to the boom during World War II, at first the Christians or the, the people or the Jews were not allowed on the streets after 10 o'clock at night. But then they were not allowed on the streets after 8 o'clock at night. And then they were not allowed on the streets after 6 o'clock at night. So they made laws, a kind of light, restricting them more and more and more and more. And that is the same that happened with the Huguenots. And that is the same that is going to happen. You are not allowed to preach against homosexuality in this country. And they will make more and more laws to restrict your freedom, your freedom of speech, your freedom to, to teach to teach creationism on school. And they make more and more laws to restrict your freedom. It's the same pattern. It happened then, it happened during World War II with the Jews, and it happens now. There's nothing new under the sun. What came out of it? And that's what many people don't know. That's the next slide. And, of course, this is also Septuagre, the laws that cut them off, and the sword that cut through families. If you really study it, they couldn't marry, you know, their own, you know, a um, marriage was only uh, lawful when it was being, you know, it was in the Catholic Church, you know, that was the only lawful marriage. There was a lot of difficulties. Now, it's the next slide. Yeah, they made this, this, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah the next one, this edict of Tolerance. And uh, in, in it says in 1787 that's where you have your civil rights from. And because of the suppression of the Huguenots, because of the tribulations they went through, uh, after that. They got freedom of religion in France. That was the former slide, and this is the, the, these are the articles nine and ten that gave people the freedom of religion under the edict of tolerance, and they they tolerated other religions. But if you go back to once two slides, you, you do you notice something there on top? Does that look familiar to you? Maybe you go back to you go you go further one or two slides. Next one, yes, I made a close-up. It's like like Bernini's angels and demons. There's an angel pointing at it actually. You so you see where 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 your civil rights come from. The next step is that we Christians are not tolerant enough if we do not tolerate Islam, or whatever, name it, you have to be tolerant. They will make you to be tolerant. And if not, you don't fit into the system. That's just a small excursion. And we can learn many, many lessons. And I have many more lessons from the Eugenics. There was a period that they fought There was a period that they fled, and I thank God some of them fled to the Netherlands, and I'm one of the descendants of them. But the Huguenots that stayed in France, they were angry at the Huguenots that fled, because they said, and they were usually the pastors that fled. They had the means to flee. And they were angry that their pastors had left them. And after a hundred years or so, one or two, a couple of them, came back to France, to the Huguenots. And they said, why did you leave us in our distress, in our tribulation? You should have stayed to strengthen us, to encourage us, to teach us to have faith and trust God. Next slide, I go over it very fast, I will finish off. Some of them fought. And you see the Bible of one of the Huguenot uh, leaders. This is his Bible with a gun. And there's some weapons together because he was a fighting Huguenot. And the next slide you see Huguenots going outside. Is that an option to fight? No. Is it an option to go outside? This is outside preaching in open air. They even used, I'm standing right there, they used these battles, wine battles, and they made a puppet a secret pubert from the wine barrels. So it was hidden, you know, for the, for the enemy. And they used it. Is it an option to hide? I went to some of the caves. This is my car standing in one of the caves. there's des Eugenots, it says. Yeah, it is one of the caves they went to. Do. All the caves, dear brothers and sisters, they're all tourist attractions. There are no caves left any longer to hide. You cannot go there. I've searched for them. No place to hide. It's not an option. I agree with Brother Charles. It's not an option to fight. It's not an option to hide. It's not an option to commit suicide. What the people did at Masada... I asked brother Andrew for his advice. Can you help us, brother? He says, read Charles Cooper's book. (laughs) That's good advice, isn't it? He's been strengthening the believers in Russia when they were behind the Iron Curtain. He's been strengthening the believers in China when the land was closed during Mao Zedong's rule. And he is strengthening the Christians in the Middle East at the moment. Being suppressed by the Islam. Right the week after I had this interview with him, he went to Palestinian. He says because there are more Christians among the Palestinians than among the Israelis. He says, and my one goal is to meet Osama Bin Laden. Because I know God's forgiveness is greater than His unforgivable sins, what He did. Say, Amen, if you agree with me. So, Brother Andrews advises, what he gave me was when he was in Pakistan on television... And the next plaque reads what it says. My main message is give people a chance not believe in a religion but to walk to Jesus' roads. Do what Jesus did. Speak what Jesus spoke and be willing to literally be crucified for what you believe in because if we are not willing to lay down lives for what we believe we probably don't really believe it. There is a cost that must be paid for the propagation of any belief that is personally yours. Are you willing to lay down your life for what you believe? I believe in these days there are two kinds of people. One kind is the brothers and sisters that are willing to be an instrument in strengthening that what remains. And the other kind are those that are in need of strength. I want to do an old-fashioned invitation tonight. Do, are you willing to stand with Corey Tamboum? To stand with Brother Andrew? To stand with Brother Charles? And the other speakers of this conference? Are you willing not to just save your own lives and see how you can survive tribulation? Are you willing to go one step further and be a blessing and a strength? For your brothers and sisters in the church where you're at or in your environment, are you willing to become that strengthening person and speak words of faith and encouragement? I want to do an invitation tonight. If you are willing to be that person that is strengthening others, please stand up and I'll pray for you. Father God, we have so many examples in our lives. Those giants of faith in Corrie Boom or Brother Andrew or Billy Graham or those missionaries going into China and in difficult places, giving their lives for you. Lord, and you see these dear people standing here before your holy face. Lord, and we make a decision tonight to not just go for our own lives and try to, f- to save ourselves, but to be there where other people need us. To be a shoulder to be a spokesman of faith or a spokeswoman of faith and proclaim Psalm 46 in trusting the Lord to stand next to others, Lord, and to trust You. Lord, and I pray Your blessing, even if I don't see any of my dear brothers and sisters here again, I believe that this message, Lord, and this decision will make them strong men and women that do not flee, that do not fight, that do not commit suicide or other stupid things, but just be there to serve and strengthen your people. Lord, and I pray for your grace, and I pray for your Holy Spirit to empower, empower them and I pray that you bless them Lord and I pray that we'll meet in heaven and be part of that great crowd of Revelation chapter 7 Lord that worship you it's not a religion it's what we heard this morning in our devotional it's a personal relationship with you Lord it is letting our hearts speak and encouraging that what remains. We pray for every each soul that has made the decision tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen.